A group of friends wake up wondering what the new day will bring them. It starts off pretty ordinary, but before they know it, they find themselves in an intense space battle and under bombardment from enemy spaceships. Things settle down, but before they know it, they're deep in the jungle on the hunt for a priceless artifact. With the artifact almost in their hands, the ground begins to shake and they find themselves running for their lives as they are pursued by a giant boulder. It seems like a harrowing day, but for this group of friends, it's what they've come to expect as they live in a world full of imagination and adventure. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. And today, it's a look back on the beloved cartoon show that managed to stand out during an era of excessive commercialism. It's the show that challenged kids to use the power of their imaginations. This is the history of The Muppet Babies. The Muppets, as a franchise, have a long and rich history that includes commercials, TV shows, and an endless amount of movies. This is a very brief overview, but The Muppets, created by Jim Henson, go all the way back to the 1950s and first appeared in some commercials. Want some Wilkins coffee with your strawberry shortcake? Next came a show called Sam and Friends, Friends. which was a lead-in to The Tonight Show. In 1966, we saw the Muppets appear on Sesame Street. In the 70s, the Muppets also appeared on Saturday Night Live. The popularity of the characters led to the Muppet Show in 1976. The incredibly popular show introduced the world to Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, Scooter, in a cast of other characters. The Muppet Show ran for five seasons, finishing in 1981, and was nominated for 19 Emmy Awards. The worldwide success of The Muppets led to their first movie, 1979's The Muppet Movie, a critical and commercial success. The Muppets then starred in 1981's The Great Muppet Caper, This was the only Muppet movie directed by Jim Henson, and even though it wasn't as big a hit as the original Muppet movie, still grossed around $30 million. That's over $100 million when adjusted for inflation. By the early 80s, the Muppets were a worldwide hit and naturally led to various merchandise. But Jim Henson was very careful with what type of products the Muppets appeared on. One item in particular was a fold-up cardboard book called The Muppet Show Bill. It featured illustrations of the Muppet Show cast, and during its creation, Henson discussed an idea with artist Sue Venning about seeing the Muppets when they were younger. That idea was scrapped, but seemed promising, and eventually that idea turned into some sketches of Miss Piggy as a baby. And that takes us into 1983. And this is where our story picks up. The next Muppet movie would take the Muppets from college to Manhattan, where they try to get their musical show on Broadway. 
In the movie, Kermit gets amnesia, and the rest of the Muppets try to make him remember who he is in the show they are trying to put on. Spoiler alert, Kermit remembers, the show goes on, and Kermit and Miss Piggy get married in the end. Directed by Frank Oz, production on the Muppets Take Manhattan began in 1983. At first, The Muppets Take Manhattan was going to be a bit more on the wackier side, but Oz adjusted things to make it more character-centered. Released in July of 1984, The Muppets Take Manhattan also didn't hit the heights of the Muppet movie at the box office, but was still a pretty decent critical hit and ended up being a financial success. This is particularly notable considering The Muppets Take Manhattan came out during that golden year for movies called 1984. The week it opened, The Muppets Take Manhattan finished fifth at the box office. But here's what finished ahead of it. The Karate Kid, The Last Starfighter, Gremlins, and oh yeah, Ghostbusters. The fact it made any money during one of the best summers for movies during the decade is a testament to Jim Henson and the Muppet franchise. But in The Muppets Take Manhattan, one scene in particular stuck out for a lot of viewers. After a disagreement in Central Park, Miss Piggy and Kermit make up and take a carriage ride through the park. Piggy apologizes for something she said earlier about how things might have been better if they had never met. But she takes it back and wishes they had met much sooner. She then speculates on what life might have been like if they had known each other when they were little. This dissolves into a dream fantasy sequence where we see several of the Muppets as babies. Set to the song, I'm Gonna Always Love You, we see baby versions of Kermit, Piggy, Gonzo, Ralph, Fozzie, and Scooter. Even though it lasted for only about three minutes, the scene directed by Jim Henson himself, featuring the baby Muppets, had a big impact on a lot of viewers, especially younger ones. But before the movie even came out, questions arose about the possible impact of these Muppet babies and how they might be able to make a splash, at least commercially. According to Defunct TV, one of the first moves was that associates of Jim Henson started to make deals with manufacturers to release some small toddler toys of the Muppets, but in baby form. Some products, including Muppet babies associated with Pampers diapers, were already released months before the Muppets Take Manhattan even came out. You can get a baby Kermit or baby Miss Piggy stuffed doll by mail for just two ninety-five when you buy two Pampers. As I mentioned earlier, Jim Henson had always been very guarded on how the Muppets could be merchandised and didn't seem to be a big fan of excessive commercialism. He wanted the content to stand on its own, the same way Bill Watterson did with his comic strip Calvin and Hobbes licensing very few products ever. But there was always demand for Muppets products, and it looked like more demand than ever with these cute baby Muppets. And any commercial success 
could provide a means to an end. Sales of Muppet Baby products could help fund future Muppets content, which was now being independently produced. Ultimately, what Jim Henson wanted was to inspire and entertain people through his creations. So, if products featuring these cute baby Muppets help accomplish this, then so much the better. In 1984 was a good time to release some baby toys directed at kids, toddlers, and younger children. We're coming out of the great video game crash of 1983, when the video game industry lost billions of dollars, and toy companies began to move away from video games and electronic products. They started to move back to traditional toys, like dolls, teddy bears, and stuffed animals. A February 1983 New York Times article noted that at the 80th annual American Toy Fair, there was a move towards more innocent and gentle toys coming out of the midst of buzzing and blinking video games. When some of these Muppet Baby toys launched at the 1984 Toy Fair, they were a hit and were even vying for attention along with the second generation of one of the most successful toys in history the Cabbage Patch Kids. So maybe there was something more here with these baby Muppets. Jim Henson and the Muppets have always been successful at creating content that walks the line between entertaining both kids and adults at the same time. Some jokes may go over a kid's head, but they can still enjoy the wacky slapstick antics of the Muppets. But what about something completely directed at children? Maybe that short segment from the Muppets Take Manhattan had some staying power. Before the Muppets Take Manhattan even came out, Henson approached some animation companies, including Marvel Productions, the production company that had already brought us cartoons like G.I. Joe and Dungeons and Dragons. Marvel Productions clearly knew how to make a kid's cartoon show and thought a cartoon version of these baby Muppets would be perfect for Saturday mornings. And at this point in 1984, they also had a new show about to be released in the fall, a cartoon series about an alien race of robots called the Transformers. But Henson had high standards and noticed that many Saturday morning cartoons didn't have the quality of a show like Sesame Street. There was a lot of action, violence, and excess, and these shows all seemed tied into a subsequent toy line. Could Marvel be able to make a creative and imagination-filled cartoon version of the Baby Muppets? Could it be something wholesome, uplifting, and encouraging for kids? Henson didn't want it to be another run-of-the-mill Saturday morning cartoon just used to sell toys. And we'll get back to more about that in a bit. Despite initial hesitation with Marvel, a deal was made to create a cartoon show that gave Henson creative control and the ability to fund his next project, a unique fantasy film that starred David Bowie and a young Jennifer Conley called Labyrinth. This movie was going to be a huge undertaking and would require a lot of money. 
The budget for Labyrinth ended up being around $25 million, or over $70 million in today's money. The deal for a Muppet Babies cartoon would help Henson accomplish his vision for Labyrinth. But where do you start with a cartoon about these baby Muppets? The segment in The Muppets Take Manhattan didn't establish much except that they were all together in a nursery, liked to sing, and roll down slides. Bob Richardson, an animator and producer for shows like Dungeons and Dragons, came on board as a supervising producer and animation director. Jeffrey Scott came on as a writer, one of the all-time great children's television writers. Scott worked on cartoons like The Super Friends, The Littles, Captain N the Game Master, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Scott's father also worked for Hanna-Barbera, and his grandfather is, no joke, Mo from The Three Stooges. Scott developed a Muppet Babies Bible to establish their world, and he wrote many of the main ideas that the show followed. Scott even wrote all 13 episodes from the first season. One of the main features of the series was the creation of the character of Nanny, a faceless caretaker voiced by Barbara Billingsley from Leave it to Beaver. Besides the original six babies featured in The Muppets Take Manhattan, Baby Bunsen, Baby Beaker, Baby Animal, and Skeeter, Scooter's twin sister, were added in. Besides having a TV icon like Barbara Billingsley, the series featured some very significant voice talent. Baby Kermit was voiced by Frank Welker, a.k.a. the voice of the 1980s. Just some of the characters voiced by Welker include Fred from Scooby-Doo, Slimer from the real Ghostbusters, and Megatron from the Transformers. Frank Welker also voiced Baby Beaker. Lori O'Brien voiced Baby Piggy. O'Brien was Mrs. Morgan on the show St. Elsewhere. Greg Berg was Baby Fozzie and Baby Scooter. Berg has been in a ton of 1980s TV shows and cartoons, including things like The Love Boat. Knott's Landing, Who's the Boss, and Silver Spoons. You may know Berg best as the voice of Bebop and also Donatello in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Rusi Taylor was the voice of Baby Gonzo and is another incredible voice performer. Taylor was the voice of Strawberry Shortcake, the voice of Martin Prince on The Simpsons, And from 1986 until she passed away in 2019, Taylor was the voice of Minnie Mouse. Taylor was also married to Wayne Allwine, who from 1977 to his unfortunate passing in 2009 was the voice of Mickey Mouse. The voice of Baby Animal is an interesting one. It started out as Howie Mandel, who also voiced Baby Skeeter and Baby Bunsen. A few years later, the voice of Animal was taken over by Uncle Joey from Full House himself, Dave Coulier. Coulier also took over the role of Baby Bunsen. Katie Lee was the voice of Baby Rolf. 
This is Katie Lee, the voice of Baby Roll from the original Muppet Babies. Lee is another exceptional voice talent and was in pretty much every 1980s cartoon you can think of. Some of those shows included The Real Ghostbusters, The Smurfs, The Pound Puppies, My Little Pony, The Glow Friends, Dungeons and Dragons, Alvin and the Chipmunks, and she played Sunny Gummy on The Gummy Bears. I asked Katie how the opportunity came up to be a part of this remarkable project. I had been working on Dungeons and Dragons, whose voice director was Hank Saroyan, and then Muppet Babies came up, and I saw him at a restaurant, and I asked him what he was doing, and he told me that he was auditioning for a new show based on the Muppets, and I went berserk because I was a big Muppet fan, and um, I made sure I got to go to those auditions, which was the very next day, and... I rented a movie, one of the Muppet, Muppets Take Manhattan, I think, and decided I would be Rolf. And uh, I actually remembered Rolf from when I was a little girl, very little girl, watching black and white TV, the Jimmy Dean show. He was a character I apparently always was attached to in some way. So what was the approach to creating the voice of the baby version of a character already made famous by the great Jim Henson? So my approach, <laughs> oddly enough, was I, I should have been thinking he was a baby. Um, I was just trying to imitate him, actually, uh, his voice. And maybe that's what they like because he, he wasn't very baby-ish, but I guess because my voice sounds young. It sounded young. I was just trying to copy what I heard, you know, his cadence and his attitude, his personality, and um, try to match his voice as best I could because I didn't think I could do any of the other characters. Katie obviously landed the role of Baby Rolf, leading to not only an amazing job, but an amazing interaction. Um, it was the greatest, one of the greatest experiences of my life, being at the first table read with Jim Henson there. I about died and knowing that I was imitating him was kind of embarrassing so I would ask him to say the lines my lines first to hear how he would do it and then try to copy him and there was yet more amazing voice talent we already had Frank Megatron Welker as the voice of baby Kermit and some additional voices for the show were performed by Optimus Prime Peter Cullen so, the show had extremely elite voice talent on board. But the Muppet Babies cartoon wouldn't look like other cartoons out there. And it was able to include things that no other show at the time could even dream of. Everything 80s will return after these messages. The premise of the Muppet Babies is exploring the power of creativity and imagination. The Muppet Babies live in a nursery and not only have to exist together and problem-solve, but entertain themselves through all of their own unique imaginations. If you grew up watching this show, you will remember all the imaginary adventures the group transported themselves to, which included a lot of live-action sequences. Other cartoons weren't really doing this, 
And not only did the show feature live action sequences, but ones for some big time movies like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there were a few reasons why this happened. According to a 2019 Mental Floss article, the live action sequences were added in for budgetary reasons. Having the Muppet Babies jump from animation into a live action sequence was simply a way to save money on animation. Back in the mid 80s, just 22 to 23 minutes of animation could cost between $200,000 and $300,000. In today's money, that's nearly $600,000 to $850,000. Some live action scenes may be from big time feature films others from classic black and white films, while some may just be old public domain footage. Sometimes, the Muppet Babies were just in front of still photographs, which helped out the budget even more. For a younger viewer like me, I love the live-action sequences, especially scenes from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, a movie my mother completely banned me from seeing. Muppet Babies was the closest I could get. So that brings up the question, how in the world was a kid's cartoon show able to use clips from some of the biggest and most famous movies of all time? Well, that's because everybody loved Jim Henson. Henson was friends with both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and was able to secure the rights to these huge films. It was kind of the same way that Steven Spielberg was able to convince other studios to lend their animated characters for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, something that seems next to impossible today. Both Lucas and Spielberg loved Henson and did anything they could for him, including one time when Henson made a 3.30 a.m. call to George Lucas in Hong Kong requesting the use of Star Wars footage. They had the print in just 48 hours. The Muppet Babies debuted on a Saturday morning in September of 1984 on CBS and kicked off with a pretty memorable theme song. The theme song called Rocket to the Stars was written by Hank Saroyan and Rob Walsh. Walsh alone composed music for things like G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Gem and the Holograms. It was perfect timing. It had only been a few months since the public watched the Muppet Babies scene in The Muppets Take Manhattan, and they didn't have to wait long for more Muppet Babies content. The new series was an instant hit. In its first year, The Muppet Babies was CBS's most popular Saturday morning cartoon and finished fifth overall. Not only was The Muppet Babies a uniquely creative show, it separated itself from many of its cartoon peers. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that the 80s were a lifting of advertising restrictions to children. Toy companies now had free reign to market as aggressively as possible to kids without any repercussions. Many cartoons of the mid-80s existed to serve an accompanying toy line and were basically commercials disguised 
as cartoon shows. The Muppet Babies was one of those few shows that just existed on its own. Yes, there was merchandise, of course, a lot of it, but the series was not launched to help promote a new toy line, the way a show like G.I. Joe or Transformers was. Since the show's origins were more creative than commerce, this allowed it to not be burdened down by incorporating new characters, vehicles, or playsets into the script. The Muppet Babies could just be the Muppet Babies, and the episodes were determined by what would be the most creative, entertaining, or musical approach. And the Muppet Babies featured a lot of music, with upwards of a hundred songs created for the series. You may even remember the live-action Muppet Babies stage show that toured for about four years. Writers didn't have to worry about coming up with a storyline that included Kermit flying the Sky Striker jet to defeat some new characters called the Constructicons that would soon appear on toy shelves. Again, that's not to say there wasn't Muppet Babies merchandise, but the show existed in a separate vein from many of the shows dominating Saturday morning cartoons, and after-school cartoons. Merchandise-wise, Muppet Baby products seemed geared towards a younger audience. You may remember things like Muppet Baby's puzzles, books, squeeze toys, and plush dolls. In my house, we had the Muppet Baby's records that featured songs from the show. Muppet Baby stickers could be found in General Mills cereal and there were even Muppet Baby comic books from Marvel. But possibly the most notable merch came from 1987 with the inclusion of the Muppet Babies in the McDonald's Happy Meal. When you buy your kids McDonald's Happy Meal featuring Muppet Babies, they get a Muppet Babies figure with a push toy different Muppet Babies can share, plus neat cutouts on the box. Kermit, surf's up! McDonald's Happy Meal featuring Muppet Babies. The small toys included Kermit on a skateboard, Fozzie on a rocking horse, Gonzo on a tricycle, Animal in a wagon, and Piggy in a car. Apparently, if you're listening from the U.S., only four of those were available there, while here in Canada, we got the addition of the animal toy. The toys were only 49 cents each, and a huge hit, especially in my house, as we begged for trips to McDonald's to collect them all. Collect them all. The perfect three-word marketing promotion. Speaking of the Muppets and McDonald's, also released in the 1980s were Fraggle Rock Happy Meal toys, featuring four Fraggles riding in various vegetables. But despite the merchandising tie-ins, commercialism did not drive or dictate this show. The merchandise existed in response to its success. Going into the second season, more cartoon competition appeared on the scene. The fall of 1985 saw the debut of shows like the Ewoks and Droids cartoons, the Wuzzles, the Bernstein Bears, the Gummy Bears, and Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. For that new season, CBS ordered another 13 episodes of The Muppet Babies. And this was pretty unique. A 1985 New York Times article reports that, back then, a network would typically buy 13 episodes of a new cartoon series, 
and run each three or four times during that first year. For the next season and possible future seasons, that order may go down to eight or even fewer episodes. That way, they had to pay fewer residuals, and that helped out against the lower advertising revenue they got on Saturday mornings compared to what they could charge during prime time. But that 13-episode order for the second season of Muppet Babies was seen as, quote, heretical and totally against the grain at the time. Was this the power of Jim Henson and the Muppet Babies that they were able to get as much new content as possible on the airwaves back then? The success of the Muppet Babies eventually led to domestic syndication and the show ended up being broadcast in more than 50 countries. The early and quick success of the Muppet Babies also led to a spin-off. Well, sort of. In 1985, you may remember Little Muppet Monsters. This half-live-action, half-cartoon show was to be part of a one-hour time block called Muppets, Babies, and Monsters, which would feature an episode of the Muppet Babies followed by Little Muppet Monsters. Little Muppet Monsters was about a trio of monster siblings that live in the basement of a house where the main Muppet Show characters lived. The three Muppet Monsters named Tug, Molly, and Boo have a staff of rats, live with penguins, and broadcast their own TV show from the basement. Members of the Muppets, such as Kermit and Fozzie, make appearances in Little Muppet Monsters. And if you've ever seen that gif of Kermit typing away like crazy on a typewriter, it comes from this show. I have very vague memories of watching Little Muppet Monsters because I loved all things Muppets. But it was on TV for just the blink of an eye and then gone. According to internetarchive.org, since animation segments were taking so long to produce for Little Muppet Monsters, Muppet Babies reruns were aired in the meantime. The reruns ratings were so high that CBS just canceled Little Muppet Monsters after just three episodes. But other reports say it was canceled because Jim Henson and CBS just weren't happy with the quality of the show. Either way, the second hour of Muppets, Babies, and Monsters just continued to feature another episode of Muppet Babies. There were originally plans for 15 more episodes of Little Muppet Monsters that may or may not have been partly completed, but they never saw the light of day. Season 3 of The Muppet Babies launched in September 1986 with even more episodes than Season 2. It continued to stay on top, averaging around 4 million viewers, and was the second most popular kids show on TV. The Muppet Babies was a clear hit, not only with kids, but with parents. The focus on creativity, imagination, music, and an educational component made it an easy choice. The show's quality also garnered recognition. The Muppet Babies was nominated for several Emmy Awards, winning the award 
her outstanding animated program four years straight. From 1985 to 1988, no other animated program could touch the Muppet Babies. In 1985, writer Jeffrey Scott also won the Humanitas Prize. This award is given for TV and film writing that, quote, explores the human condition in a nuanced and meaningful way. The award was given for the episode called Eight Takeaway One Equals Panic from the first season. In that episode, the Muppet Babies think they overhear Nanny on the phone to Mr. Jenkins saying she needs to get rid of one of them. All of them have to envision what life would be like if they were the ones to leave. Nanny comes in and points to a chair where Fozzie is sitting, saying that is the one that needs to go. The rest of them band together to say if he leaves, they all leave. Nanny, though, is not pointing to Fozzie, but the chair, which they don't need anymore. The group learns not to jump to uncertainties, but to come to her to talk about their fears and concerns, while she reassures them of how much they are loved. This was the type of value that the Muppet Babies brought to younger viewers. The fourth season launched in September 1987 with 18 episodes. Just a few months after the debut of season four, another interesting TV special came out. It's called The Muppets Family Christmas. For my family, this is one of our all-time favorite holiday specials. In this special, the Muppets surprise Fozzie's mother for Christmas. Members from Sesame Street also show up, as do characters from Fraggle Rock. And during their stay, they find old home movies of the Muppets when they were little. And we see the same Muppet babies from The Muppets Take Manhattan singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And it's fun because even weirdos are cute when they're babies. This is a special my siblings and I still watch together to this day. And now it's been introduced to my younger nieces and nephews. And this special is also quite unique as it's the only time that the Muppets, Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock, and the Muppet Babies all appear in the same show. The fifth season of The Muppet Babies debuted in the fall of 1988 with 13 episodes, followed by a sixth season of 11 episodes in 1989. By this point, the success of The Muppet Babies led to baby versions of other popular characters, including shows like The Flintstone Kids, Tiny Toons, A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, and Tom and Jerry Kids. Season 7 began in late 1989, not long after the end of Season 6, and crossed over into 1990. Some new characters began to appear now, like Baby Bean Bunny. That seventh season also stands out, as it was the last season to exist while Jim Henson was still alive. The beloved and iconic entertainer and creator tragically passed away in May 1990, at just 53 years of age. The Muppet Babies ran for one more season, ending in 1991, an impressive eight seasons and 107 episodes. Muppet Babies had also hit the coveted 100-episode mark 
allowing it to be syndicated for years to come. The Muppet Babies was a huge hit in my household. I have a younger brother and sister, and from youngest to oldest, we are seven years apart. That's quite the age range, and we all had our various interests that were age-specific. The shows my brother watched were different from what I preferred, as was my sister's. And of course, with just one TV, there were many spirited disagreements on who got to watch what and when. A lot of the time, our, let's call them relentless disputes, led to no one getting to watch anything. But The Muppet Babies was one of those few shows we could all agree on and also watch together. Despite our age differences, it still appealed to all our sensibilities. There was something for everyone in this show. The Muppet Babies is a show that struck that perfect balance between entertainment, creativity, and heart. And it remains one of the more beloved shows from the 1980s. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more episodes related to this one, here are some suggestions for further listening for topics I mentioned throughout. I have previous episodes all about the Transformers, one on G.I. Joe, one on Gem and the Holograms, an episode on Calvin and Hobbes, and an episode all about the great Frank Welker. But besides those, there are a ton of other episodes for you to dive into. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. So again, thank you so much for spending your time with me here today. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.